Well, as we continue in this incredible, incredible gift of worship this morning, I do want to ask you to grab a Bible and to join me in the Gospel of John in the New Testament. John's Gospel is where we're spending some time, not only today, but in this, this series that we're walking through as a church. And I realize you may be new to Shades this morning, or maybe you're joining us online for the first time. We're, we're so thankful that you're here. And I, I want you to know what we've, been, what we've been seeing over the last couple of weeks and kind of where we're going in this series. This is a series that is built upon seven statements that Jesus makes about himself that that are recorded for us in the Gospel of John. And so these seven statements are giving us insight into who Jesus is and what he has done, why he came, and what he offers to you and to me. And so these statements are, they're, they're beautiful, they're powerful, but they're also incredibly important. Because these are claims that Jesus is making about himself. And I realize you may be here this morning and you, you might not be sure what you think about Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you're, you're trying to figure out where you stand as it relates to who Jesus is and, and what he claims. Well, I hope and pray this passage of scripture, these, these statements that we're looking at in John's gospel will be a great gift to you. Because Jesus makes some claims about himself. And if you want to know who Jesus is, you need to listen to what he says. And so in John chapter 10, we, we see two of those seven statements. We see the one we're looking at today. Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep. We're going to talk about what that means. And then next week, we're going to look at the, the, the second statement in John 10, where Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. So for two weeks, we're talking about sheep and shepherds and what this means as it relates to who Jesus is. So I want to turn your attention specifically to John chapter 10, beginning in verse 7. And I'm going to read through verse 10. And what we do each week at Shades is we stand for the reading of God's word. So I know you've just been seated for a moment. You just got comfortable. But I want to invite you to stand back up for the reading of God's word so that all around the room as we're standing, we can be reminded the word of God is the foundation for the people of God. The word of God is what the church of Jesus Christ stands upon. And it's the word of God. The word of God that shows us what God says is right and good and true. So we listen to the word of God. Listen to this statement Jesus makes about himself, John 10, seven. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the, thie but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. Jesus says, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And then verse 10 the thief, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. But I, Jesus said, came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Do you have life and do you have it abundantly? Let's pray together and let's ask Jesus, let's ask the Spirit of God, let's, let's ask the voice of God to speak into our lives as we turn our attention to his word and then we'll be seated. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you 
for what you're already doing in this service today. Thank you for the celebrations of baptism. Thank you for voices lifted in, in worship to you, declaring who you are. And Father, thank you for giving us your word. I pray now as we turn our attention to the Holy Scripture that you would do what only you can do, that through the power of your spirit at work among us, you would speak to each and every one. I pray that your voice would be clear. I pray that you would have your way among us as we gather. And I pray, Lord, that we would see what you desire for us to see on this day. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing with me. So because of where Jesus takes us in John 10, for just a moment to get started, I want us to talk about sheep. So let's talk about sheep. This is a picture that, that I think greatly, accurately represents a sheep. Sheep are a goofy animal, a very interesting animal. For you see, sheep are really defenseless on their own. They have no great power, they have no great strength, they have no great camouflage. They actually stand out in the middle of a field so a predator can easily see them. They have no way of fighting off a predator. They have no way of, of defending themselves. They also really have no way of helping themselves. There's all kinds of stories told uh, about sheep. Not only are they defenseless, not only do they really have no power, but, but sheep are just dumb. They're just dumb animals. And there's stories of sheep that would be grazing next to a, a cliff on a mountainside and they literally are just eating the grass and would just walk off the cliff and die. There are stories of sheep that are out in a pasture and a, a predator comes and, and snatches one of those sheep and, and, and really begins to tear apart a sheep and the other sheep just kind of stand there and watch. They're really not bright at all. And there was a video that went viral a year or so ago that, that really captures this in a great way. It gives us some great insight into sheep. Let's watch this together. You see there, there's somebody trying to help a sheep it got stuck in a ditch, right? And so this nice young man is trying to get the sheep out. Thankfully he does, he rescues the sheep from the ditch, right back on in that ditch. And there you have a sheep. And I know some of you are thinking right now, man, I'm married to a sheep. Some of you are thinking I'm raising some sheep. I mean, I understand, right? But here's what we all need to see, and this is, this is very insightful. The word of God, when it points to an animal to describe you and me, of all the animals that could have been chosen, the word of God calls us sheep. Now, you may have been feeling good about yourself today, but I just want you to know, you're just a big dumb sheep. I mean, <laughs> but I am too. We all are sheep. And as anyone could say, if you were to, to share your story with someone this afternoon over lunch, you know how quickly you can find yourself in a ditch. There's a lot of different ways that we can find ourselves 
in a ditch. There's a lot of different ways that our stories would show we actually are defenseless in many ways. There's a lot of different ways that our stories would show we actually are dangerous to ourselves. When Jesus describes sheep, there's a very interesting statement that is recorded for us in Matthew's gospel. We're gonna be in John chapter 10, but I just wanna highlight this one verse from Matthew chapter nine because it shows us the heart of Jesus for a bunch of sheep. Matthew 9 verse 36 says this, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless. That's you and me, harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Compassion is a word of action. Jesus sees us in our need, harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And this is why Jesus came. He came to do something about what he sees in us. He came to do something about our need. What is the greatest danger that you and I face? Many times we think it's out in the world trying to get to us or it's the changes in culture that are impacting our lives or it's some specific person or individual or temptation that's the greatest danger to us. I wanna share a quote from you that's been very, very, very helpful to me. This is Paul David Tripp in his writing, and it gives us great insight into what the scripture is actually saying about sheep and about this comparison between us and sheep. Listen to what Paul Tripp writes. He says, the thing that you and I most need to be rescued from is us. The greatest danger that we face is the danger we are to ourselves. Who we think we are is a delusion and what we all tend to want is a disaster, the ditch. So grace comes to decimate our delusions of self-sufficiency. Grace works to destroy our dangerous hope for autonomy. Grace helps to make us reach out for what we really need to submit to the wisdom of the giver. Yes, it's true. Grace rescues us from us. And I would venture to guess that if we went around this room today and, and talked to everyone who's joining us for this service online as well, and we heard story after story, every single one of us would be able to say, yes, I have experienced that to be true in my life. There are decisions that I have made that were actually a disaster. There are beliefs that I held about myself that were actually delusional. Yes, I understand that all we like sheep can so easily go astray. And so with that in mind, we, we come to this teaching of Jesus about sheep and about a shepherd and, and what this means for you and for me in John's gospel. And I do want to give us a little bit of context into why Jesus begins to talk about sheep and shepherds in John chapter 10. I actually want to draw your attention first to John 9, because John 9 really sets the stage for why Jesus begins to tell uh, this, this example, this illustration about sheep and shepherding as he describes himself. So John chapter 9 is a miraculous story. 
It's a story of a, a, a divine intervention. It's a story of healing. It's a, it's a story of Jesus healing a blind man. But what you see if you look at the first verse of John 9 is there are details in this story that actually increase the significance to what is taking place as Jesus encounters this blind man. John tells us in John 9 verse 1, as he passed by, Jesus, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. This is a man who's never seen. This is not a man who is blind because he had an accident Not a man who is blind because of some other physical situation that happened that took his sight. This is a man who has never seen a moment in his entire life. His entire lifetime has been darkness. Why does that matter? Why is that detail important? Well, please don't lose sight of this. Every detail in the word of God is there for a reason. And John adds this detail that Jesus heals this man who is blind, but he's not just a man who is blind. He's a man who is blind from birth. Why? Because at the time, religious Jews believed that one of the signs of the Messiah, one of the evidences of the Messiah would be that the Messiah would come with the power and authority to heal someone who is blind from birth. The Messiah was believed to have the authority to heal someone who had never seen a day in their life. Why did that matter? Well, that way it was very clear. This is not just some medicine or this is not just some cure that has helped someone who is only blind for a season. No, this is a a miraculous healing of divine intervention from heaven, healing a man who has never seen. So you can read about this later in John 9. Jesus does this amazing thing. He, he, he spits on some, some dirt that he just picks up from the ground and he makes mud in his hands and he begins to rub that mud on this blind man's face, on his eyes. Now, I want you to know there's a lot of reasons I'm very grateful that this miracle happened. But one of the reasons personally that I'm so thankful the miracle happened is can you imagine if Jesus spit and made mud and put it on the guy's eyes and it didn't work? I mean, that'd be rough, right? He's blind and now he's got some guy's spit all over his face. That's a pretty bad day. But instead, Jesus is showing his authority. He tells the man to go wash the mud off of his face. And the man, for the first time in his life, can see. And I just imagine what that moment must have been like. He's heard the voices of people talking to him and now he sees their faces. He's heard birds chirping and now he sees them flying. For the first time, what has been completely dark is now filled with color. This amazing moment of miraculous healing and you would think that everyone seeing this would celebrate, that everyone seeing this would be in awe and wonder, that everyone seeing this would be so excited for a man who's never seen to now have sight. This is incredible and yet there's a group of people that see this miracle take place and they're furious. 
In fact, they begin to accuse Jesus and say, you can't be from God. You must be a sinner because of what you've just done. Why would they say that? Well, again, the details of the story are so significant and so important. John gives us another detail of when this miracle took place. John chapter 9, verse 14 says this. Now, it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. That may not mean much to you and me today, but the Sabbath is a gift from God, and we should understand this. The Sabbath was given to us by God to remind us of who he is and who we are, that we're not machines. We, we don't have all sufficient power. We need rest. And so the Sabbath was given to the people as a gift from God, a part of the weekly rhythm that said, take a full day during your work week and slow down and rest. Catch your breath. Be reminded of who God is. Be reminded of what he has done. And God says the Sabbath day is holy. It's even part of the Big Ten, the Ten Commandments. Honor the Sabbath. Keep it holy. And so what happened over time is some religious leaders said, hey, this is a big deal. This is, this is a law of God, the Sabbath. And we want to make sure that no one ever violates this law or abuses the Sabbath. So they began to create all these other laws around the Sabbath that would describe what work really is and what work is really not. And all these different laws began to pile on themselves. And there was this long list of things that you could not do on the Sabbath. Now, they did this with good intentions, but over time it became this very heavy weight of legalism. If you violate any of these laws, you're in trouble. And evidently, according to the Pharisees, according to these religious leaders, healing a man born blind on the Sabbath is a form of work. And so in their minds, it's a violation of Sabbath law. And they look at Jesus, and instead of seeing the Messiah that they were longing for, the one with the power and authority to heal a man born blind and celebrating what they've just seen, they see someone who's a threat to their authority and power. And they begin to attack him and accuse him for violating the law's of the Sabbath, this is legalism at its finest. The rules have been elevated above the one who provided the law to begin with. There's a lot of problems with legalism. I know many of you have encountered legalism at times in your life. You know, there's those individuals in your life who had all these strict rules about all these different things and they, they were supposed to help you, but instead they, they really began to drive wedges between relationships and they really began to isolate individuals and they really began to puff up self-righteousness and they really began to look down their noses at the action of others. You, you've encountered legalism. Someone who cares more about their own rules than they care about other people. Someone who cares more about their own personal preference than they care about honoring God. One of the great problems of legalism, and this is so important for us to see, because Jesus is actually telling this story in John 10 based on the legalism he encounters in John 9. One of the great problems of legalism is legalism actually devalues the law of God. In the church, we need to hear this. 
Because sometimes we get really wrapped up in the, in the rules, in, our, in the personal standards that we're trying to keep to prove that we're worthy or good enough. And yet what we see over and over again, and Jesus actually speaks to this, is legalism devalues the law of God. What do I mean by this? Well, on the surface, legalism appears to place really strong emphasis on the law of God. But the problem with legalism is, please don't miss this, it never goes far enough. Legalism has a way of highlighting certain rules while ignoring others. Legalism has a way of being very strict about some things while missing the big picture altogether. And Jesus comes onto the scene and makes it very, very clear. The only way that legalism, the only way that the rules, the only way that the law can save you is if you perfectly keep the law all day, every day, your entire life. Matthew chapter 5 Jesus addresses this head on. I want to turn your attention there very quickly and we'll come back to John in just a moment. But in Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, the, the most famous recorded sermon of Jesus we have in the scripture, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus is laying out what it means to be a disciple of Christ. He's laying out what it means to live a, what we would call a Christian life. And the sermon begins on the, on the Mount of Beatitudes with, with these, these attitudes of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. We call them the Beatitudes. That's the beginning of Matthew 5. And Jesus very quickly then begins to address some issues that would come up in religious culture. He specifically addresses legalism in Matthew 5, 17 when he says, Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. What is all this about? Well, verse 20 wraps it all up. Listen to what Jesus says. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What is Jesus saying to a group of people who prided themselves on keeping the rules and prided themselves on upholding the law? He's saying to them, if you're trying to build your case before God, by performing the right way, by being religious enough, by working hard enough, by keeping the rules, you can never do enough. You can never even come close. Because the only way to be called righteous in the sight of God, based according to the law, based according to the rules, is if your righteousness exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees the very teachers of the law. And Jesus is saying, look, look, you often put so much emphasis on the law, but you're not valuing the law enough. 
You're trying to talk about the law as if the law is an attainable goal to keep, as if you can somehow live a perfect life. You cannot do that. So stop lowering the standard to your standard. Go back to what is truly God's standard, perfection of the law in the sight of God and recognize the only way that that can happen for you The only way that your righteousness can exceed the scribes and the Pharisees is if your righteousness is actually a gift of righteousness that was given to you by one who's truly righteous. Which is why Jesus says, look, I I don't want you to be confused. I didn't come to do away with the law. I came to elevate the law and uphold the law and show that the law is good, but I also came to show you, you can't save yourself by trying to keep the law. You have violated the law over and over and over again. Don't devalue the law by trying to create a system that allows you to look righteous in the sight of others. That will not get you to God. That might be impressive to somebody who attends church, but it won't get you to God. The only way you can be right with God is if your righteousness exceeds everyone else around you, including the experts on the law. And the only way your righteousness can exceed anyone around you is if it was given to you as a gift of grace from a perfect and righteous Savior who did not violate the law in any way, but fulfilled the law. And that's the second problem of legalism that actually is being addressed here. Legalism does not know what to do with grace. Legalism does not know what to do with grace because grace does not follow the rules of man. This is so important. Grace does not follow the rules of man. Why? Grace is free. It cannot be earned. It is never deserved. It's not about some kind of exchange where we work hard enough to be worthy of receiving this. No, it is a free gift given to those who are undeserving. And that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to fulfill the law to take the consequences of the violation of the law that you and I deserve on his back as the only one who fulfilled the law to go to the cross to die for your sin and mine so that through his death and the power of his resurrection, his perfect righteousness could be given to us as a gift of grace. By grace, you are saved. But legalism doesn't know what to do with grace. Grace is offensive. It violates the rules of man. It violates those who are seeking to prove they're good enough by their performance. And so Jesus comes and performs this miracle. And the people who see this miracle and are building their lives on legalism are completely offended by what Jesus has done. And they begin to accuse him and seek to bring him down. And that leads us to John 10. And this is where we go today. Jesus begins to talk about sheep and the shepherd. And speaking in this context with the religious leaders listening he begins to tell them something about himself. 
John 10 verse one says this, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief or a robber. This is, this is a direct statement to these religious leaders saying, if you're trying to convince people that they can somehow get to the father through another way, you're just a thief or a robber. Because there's only one way to be right with God. Jesus then says, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. The sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Verse four, when he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them and the sheep will follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. What is this all about? Well, the, the, the listening audience in the original context hearing Jesus would understand probably a whole lot more about sheep and shepherds than, than you or I might understand. They saw sheep and shepherds all around them on a daily basis, and, and they understood that the shepherd certainly was responsible for a flock of sheep entrusted to his care, and it was certainly the, the shepherd's job to make sure that, that, that sh- those sheep are not attacked by predators, they're not stolen by a thief, they, they are kept safe, they are provided for. And at the end of each day, as the sun was setting, it was a very common practice for the, she- the shepherd to take his sheep and to put them in a corral or a pen, a, a sheepfold, you might call it, where they could spend the night safely with a fence around them and there would be one way in and one way out. And oftentimes that, that, that shepherd would actually go sleep somewhere else and someone called a gatekeeper would be at that corral, at that fence, at the opening in and out and they would lay down like they were the gate. They would lay down like they were the door. They were making sure that no one came in to steal a sheep. No predator came in to take a sheep. They were also making sure that the sheep didn't go out on their own. Because why? Sheep are a danger to themselves. And so Jesus is saying this story to lead to this description about himself in a context where people would have been very familiar with the practice of shepherds taking their sheep to a corral or a pen each night. Oftentimes, if they were in an area where there was a city or a town, several shepherds would come together, would bring their flocks to one corral, a community corral, and all the sheep would go in for the night. And then the next day, when the shepherds showed up, He would begin to call the sheep that were in his flock to himself and only his sheep would come. This is amazing. You can actually look this up. It's incredible. Sheep know and recognize the voice of their shepherd. This is what Jesus is saying. And so I just want to ask you real quickly before we go any further. Do you recognize the voice of the shepherd? Do you recognize the voice of God in your own life? There's a lot of different voices fighting for people's attention. There's a lot of different voices today in our culture telling you what to believe, telling you how to live, telling you what to wear, what to do, what's in, what's out. 
There's a lot of different voices fighting for your attention. Do you hear the voice of the shepherd? Do you hear the voice of God? And you may be asking, well, how do I know? How do I know the voice of God? How, do I, how can I hear the voice of God in the midst of all the noise that's all around me all the time? How do I know if it's really God speaking? Well, John actually gives us some tremendous insight, not here in John's gospel specifically, but in a, another letter that the apostle John wrote. I want to turn your attention real quickly to the book of 1 John, right near the end of the New Testament. It's right before Revelation, right before the end of the, the scripture. You're going to see 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And in 1st John chapter 4, John gives us some, some really great insight into how we know if we're hearing the voice of God. And listen to what John says here. He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because there's a lot of different voices fighting for your attention. He goes on to say, For many false prophets have gone out into the world. So this is the reality. There's a lot of voices, a lot of lies being spoken over you and, and into your ear, whispers. How do you know if it's, if it's a voice from God? How do you know if it's a voice of a false prophet or, or a voice of temptation or, or a voice that will take you away from God? He says, by this, you know the spirit of God. Listen to this. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. In fact, he goes further. He says, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now in the world already. He's saying, listen, any voice that is whispering in your ear, any voice that is speaking to you, that is actually taking you away from putting your attention on Jesus, that's not from God. That's a, that's a spirit of evil. That's a spirit of an antichrist. That's, that's a spirit trying to distract you from what you should really hear. Here's how you know the voice of God. The voice of God always exalts the name of Jesus, always. The Holy Spirit of God always points us to Jesus. I want you to know, a part of the reason why, one of the many reasons why, we begin each service together by singing and lifting our voices in worship is so that we all can be reminded through the words that are being sung to lift our eyes, lift our hearts, lift our minds to Jesus. Jesus is the one worthy of our praise. And the Spirit of God will always lead us to make much of Jesus, to exalt the name of Jesus. The Spirit of God will not lead you away from Jesus ever, ever. And in addition to that, we're reminded that the Word of God, the, the, the Word of God in the Scripture, through the Spirit of God, is always going to affirm who God is and what he has done. 
So the Spirit of God and the Word of God are never going to contradict one another. The Spirit of God and the Word of God are always going to lift up the name of Jesus, exalt the name of Jesus above all else. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been given the gift of this Holy Spirit that points you back to Jesus when you begin to wander away that points you back to Jesus when you begin to feel confused, that points you back to Jesus when you begin to listen to another voice that's not the voice of the shepherd. Which is why John says in verse 4 of 1 John chapter 4, little children, you are from God and have overcome them, those other spirits, those other voices, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Do you know that to be true? Is that your story? That the Holy Spirit of God has been given to you through the finished work of Jesus Christ? That the voice of God is speaking into your life, leading you to Jesus over and over and over again? The voice of God will always make much of Jesus. Are you hearing his voice? Are you listening to the shepherd? We go back to John 10, where we began this morning. As we see again, the scriptures say, truly, truly, I say to you, I'm the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Again, think about the context to which Jesus is telling this example as these religious leaders are accusing him and attacking him, Jesus says, listen, those who know my voice, they will know the provision of God, the protection of God, the salvation of God that only comes by grace through faith in the one that God has sent. Jesus is saying to these, these religious leaders, he's saying, look, there, there is only one way do not be confused. There's only one way to be right with God. There's only one way to be part of the, the fold of God. There's only one way to be part of the family of God. And that way is Jesus. He is the door. And then we have that beautiful statement, verse 10, as we wrap this up. Jesus reminds us of why he came and what he provides. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. But I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. You know what Jesus is saying here? Jesus is saying, look, this is especially important in, in, in a religious culture or in religious communities or in religious circles. The enemy of God oftentimes does not come whispering in your ear the way you think he is. Sometimes he comes whispering in your ear convincing you you can do this on your own without God. Sometimes he comes in your ear whispering, just be more religious and you'll get to God. Sometimes he comes to you and says, hey, just work a little harder and you'll get to God. Sometimes he comes to you and says, if you just do a little bit more, you'll get to God. And Jesus says, 
all of your effort, all of your performance, all of your work, all of the attempts to prove that you are righteous on your own, that's just gonna steal, kill, and destroy from the inside out. Because you need a savior. And the good news is the savior has come. And the Savior has done for you what you could never do for yourself. The Savior has offered his life as as the perfect sacrifice for sin at the cross. The Savior has finished the work so that you can be free, so that you can be covered in grace, so that you can experience an abundant life, a green pasture only provided by what Christ has done. This is not some empty promise about an easy life or a perfect life. No, this is a beautiful, full promise about an abundant life. A life that that brings with it joy and hope even in the midst of difficulty. A, A life that brings with it peace and promise even in the face of a struggle. Do you know this life? Have you heard the voice of the shepherd inviting you to come and to taste and see that the Lord is good, that Christ has done for you what you can never find anywhere else? Have you come to find this abundant life that is offered to you through Jesus Christ, our Lord? Are you listening to his voice? I'll end with this quote from One of the commentaries on John's gospel that says this, in Jesus Christ, regardless of your circumstances, you can discover unshakable joy and abundant life. He promises the closer we walk with him and the more intentionally we follow him, the greater our joy will be and the fuller our lives will be. He called us to feast at his table and rejoice in his presence. Stop wandering away from the shepherd to seek out your own pasture and find your own water. Every time you do, you will find the grass withered and the water bitter. Jesus is the gate. Through him, we rest in the safety of the fold and rejoice in the sweetness of of the field. Do you know the good shepherd? Do you know the one who is the door that invites you to abundant life?